You're listening to teaching from Castle Hills Christian Church in San Antonio, Texas. More information about Castle Hills Christian Church is available at chccsa.com. Something special happens when people eat together. Sitting across the table from someone else and breaking bread with them powerfully moves the relationship forward. Throughout history, people have gathered around the table to share food and to connect with one another. Some meals carry deeper significance, providing an opportunity to connect with cultural and religious roots and honor family history and traditions. It is no accident that the early followers of Jesus would eat together and share meals in public gatherings and in each other's homes. For almost 2,000 years, followers of Jesus have set aside time to reenact the sacrifice of Jesus and celebrate God's love by taking the Lord's Supper together. Simple elements, bread and cup. Despite what we often think, eating is a spiritual practice. Welcome to the table. Good morning. Have you ever imagined something in your mind of how something was going to be and then you later find out it was far from what you imagined? I remember coming to San Antonio and I had this image of what the Alamo was going to look like and then I saw it and it was in the middle of downtown and just wasn't exactly what I expected. Another time my wife had booked a getaway for us and she had looked at pictures at a website and it looked amazing and we pull up and it was just a little shack and she it, it wasn't what she imagined uh, other times we uh, imagine people as we listen to them on the radio or on a podcast and we we have this imagery of how they're going to look by just listening to them and then maybe we google or we find or we see a picture of them and and, and many times it's not the picture that we imagined in our heads oh when when i was a kid i imagined what the last supper was like I imagine the disciples around Jesus at this table and, and they had these little cups filled with Welch's grape juice and, and little pieces of bread that they ate. And, and I got this image because that's what we did every week and it was called the Last Supper. And, and even though, even back then in the back of my mind, I thought, well, maybe the disciples were, were eating light. Maybe they were counting calories. And maybe it was a mistranslation. It should have been called the Last Supper, but the, maybe the, the last snack. And, and, and that was just my imagery of kind of what the what that looked like. And today we're beginning a series called Table Talk, and it's based off of a book that I read about a year ago called Table Talk, Rethinking Communion and Community by Mike Graves. And over the next four weeks, we're going to talk about how the early church celebrated communion. We're going to talk about some of the foods that they ate. We're going to talk about the conversations they had. We're going to talk about the uh, ambience. We're going to talk about the guest list. Uh, Max Lucado tells a story when he was young. He was part of a service group, and this service group would go and take communion to shut-ins, and they would take it to people who were in the hospital. 
Well, one day they went to visit uh, this man that was in the hospital, and nothing serious, he says, but, but the man was there, and, and they go in, this group of, of young boys, and they're, they're eager to, to give him communion. But this guy's sound asleep, and they try to wake him up, and he's not waking up. And one of Max's friends, one of the other young men that was part of the group, uh, notices that the man was sleeping with his mouth open. And so, just like any 11-year-old, he kind of comes up with this idea. He was like, well, I, I, wanna, I want him to take communion. And so, he breaks off a piece of bread and puts it in the guy's mouth. And then this, this group of boys, they pour a little bit of juice. The man swallows and doesn't wake up, just keeps on sleeping. Max Lucado says... Uh, that's what a lot of people do today when it comes to communion. Many times we take communion and we don't even think about it. We just kind of go through the motions. And, and I know here at CHCC that can happen. We take communion every week and, and we don't even think about what we're doing. We just take a little bit of bread and a little bit of juice. We swallow it and, and many of us will just keep on going on with our day. Have you ever wondered why we have so many different names for communion? Uh, what are some of the different names that you've heard it called? I, I want you to take just a moment and kind of think about that. What are some of the different names that you've heard communion called? Each one of these names reflect a different way of thinking about communion. First of all, let's start off with the name that I've been calling communion. Uh, communion is found in, in 1 Corinthians uh, 10, 16. It says, when we bless the cup of the Lord's table, aren't we sharing? That word sharing is actually a word communion. Sharing in the blood of Christ. And when we break the bread, aren't we sharing in the body of Christ? Again, sharing that word communion. We see the New Living Translation. It translates that word communion, sharing. Your translation might say participating. The Greek word here is koinonia, which means communion, fellowship, sharing, participating in. Mike Graves in his book called Table Talk says he, he doesn't know of a tradition that calls communion the sharing, but that would probably be a good name for it. Uh, this, this is a time that we commune together. It's a time that we share together. It's a time that we fellowship with God and each other. Uh, another name that sometimes we hear communion called is the Lord's Table. And you'll find that in 1 Corinthians 10, verses 16 and 21. And in the Greco-Roman world, uh, the religious societies often hosted dinners in the presence of, a, presence of and in honor of other gods. And so the tables would be called the table of the Lord of whatever god they were worshiping uh, in that time. And it was signifying that this god was hosting the meal. And so when we call communion the Lord's table, it's a way of communicating that Jesus is the host of the table, that, that we want his presence, we want to honor him during this time, that it's his table, that he is the host. Uh, another term that, that's been really fascinating to me that we see throughout Scripture is the breaking of bread. We see that in Acts chapter uh, 2, verses 42 and 46. That's the early church. Uh, but as I've been hearing this term over and over, even in the Old Testament, sometimes we see that as a foreshadowing of communion. Now, the breaking of bread can be simply sharing a meal or having a meal together, uh, but it also can be uh, communion. 
Luke tells us of an instance of breaking of bread with two disciples on the road to Emmaus in Luke chapter 24, verses 13 to 35. After Jesus' resurrection, they did not recognize him at first, but finally they recognized him after he broke the bread. And many scholars would say that this story is a story of communion, that first and foremost, it's a story of resurrection, that communion reminds us of resurrection, that when we take communion, our eyes are open and we see that there's hope and we see that there's life. Uh, another popular word that you will hear is the word Eucharist, and it's found in Luke chapter 22, verse 19. He took some bread and gave thanks for it. Well, you see that word thanks as a key word. Then he broke it in pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, this is my body which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. That phrase give thanks is of where we get this word Eucharist from. It can be translated thanksgiving. And we give thanks to God for all that he has done for us through Jesus Christ. It's especially focused on thanking God for his final victory over all things, over sin, over death, over Satan, over the forces of hell. And so in many ways, the Eucharist is a thanksgiving meal. It's a meal that we gather together and we give thanks for all that God has done for us. And it also reminds us that we're looking forward to his return. One of my favorite terms is it being called, communion being called the love feast. Uh, maybe not as popular of a term, but it's found in Jude uh, 1 verses, uh, Jude one twelve. It says, these people are blemishes at your love feast, eating with you with the slightest qualm, shepherds who feed only on themselves. There are clouds without rain, blown along by the wind, autumn trees without fruit and uprooted, uh, twice dead. And this love feast has also been called an agape feast or an agape meal. This love feast was a meal where the church fellowshiped together with one another. Uh, the church was to be known for its love for one another, and they expressed this by sharing a meal. Uh, this is clearly how uh, Paul depicted uh, the communion in the Bible. In 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 33, it says, So then, my brothers and sisters, when you gather to eat, you should all eat together or wait for each other. It, it, communion is a time that we eat together, a time that we love on each other. It's a time that we commune together. And so we see the early church that the communion was this love feast. It was a time of breaking bread. It was a time of giving thanks. And, and, and then we see uh, one of the most popular ways that communion is called. It's called the Lord's Supper. Uh, 1 Corinthians 11, uh, 20 says, When you meet together, you're not only interested in the Lord's Supper, and we see the emphasis of the Lord's Supper is remembering the Last Supper of Jesus Christ, remembering his betrayal, his arrest, his suffering, his crucifixion, and his death. And this meal reminds us of Passover. Actually, during the Last Supper, that's the meal that was being celebrated. And Passover pointed forward to Christ's death on the cross, his deliverance from sin. And Jesus shared this meal with his disciples, and he transformed it into a new meal called the Lord's Supper. And some of you might remember Andy Rodriguez just preached a few weeks ago talking about this meal, this Last Supper, and he was looking from the book of Mark. And when we share in the Lord's Supper, we also share communion and fellowship with God in a special way. Luke chapter 22, verse 17 says, Then he took the cup of wine and gave thanks to, it for God, to God for it. And then he said, take this and share it among yourselves, for I will not drink wine again until the kingdom of God has come. 
He took some bread and gave thanks to it for God, to God for it. And then he broke it into pieces and gave it to the disciples saying, This is my body, which is given for you. Do this in remembrance of me. After supper, he took another cup of wine and said, This cup is a new covenant between God and his people, an agreement confirmed with my blood, which is poured out as a sacrifice for you. With the bread and the wine, Jesus explained what the Exodus was all about. The bread and the wine representing Jesus' body and blood uh, point to his death. It was about 12 hours away. Jesus is, is basically saying, I'm turning the Passover upside down. I am the lamb that was slain, or I will be the lamb that will be slain for your sins. My death, my resurrection will lead you to a new freedom. He says, I'm establishing a new covenant, which echoes, uh, or which reminds us of Jeremiah's words in uh, chapter 31, verses 31 to 34. It says, the day is coming, says the Lord, when I will make a new covenant with the people of Ezra, Israel and Judah. The covenant will not be like the one I made with their ancestors when I took them by the hand and brought them out of the land of Egypt. They broke that covenant, though I love them as a husband loves his wife, says the Lord. But this is a new covenant that I will make with the people of Israel after those days, says the Lord. I will put my instructions deep within them. I will write them on their hearts. I will be their God and they will be my people. And they will not need to teach their neighbors, nor will they need to teach their relatives, saying, You should know the Lord. For everyone from the least to the greatest will know me already, says the Lord. I will forgive their wickedness and I will never remember their sins. We see this new covenant being issued in Exodus 24, 8 says, Then Moses took blood from the basins and splattered it over the people, declaring, Look, this blood confirms the covenant the Lord has made with you in giving you these instructions. Jesus ushers in this new covenant by the shedding of his blood. It confirms this new covenant as he died on the cross. And, and as I thought about the early church as they celebrated this new covenant, and this meal that would have had bread and wine and maybe fish and fruits and vegetables and various types of sauces. I wondered why churches stopped having meals. Why communion quit being a meal? How did we make it so simple that it was just a simple little piece of bread and juice? And what I found is many churches, once they moved out of houses, that's how the churches, uh, that's how uh, churches were back then. They met in houses and almost like some of our small groups are right now, our life groups. And that, that was churches. But as they moved out of houses and they moved into bigger buildings, they didn't have kitchens and it began to be harder to have these feasts. Some would point to the time of Constantine that this took place. And so that was one of the reasons why they went away from the meal when they went to, to doing something a little bit more simpler. And so in reality, much of what we do today is more out of convenience. It's easier to have something small and sanitary instead of a meal. And I'm not saying this is wrong for us to do, but I wonder if we haven't drifted away from what the New Testament, or at least the spirit of what the New Testament was doing. They knew that there was a power in a meal. There's community. There's something about having a meal with each other and loving on each other. And in the process of remembering what Jesus Christ has done for our life. I've thought, does it really matter what we use for communion? Does the food really matter? 
And during COVID, I, I got an email from a uh, preacher that was giving me instructions on uh, how to make unleavened bread. And, and he had these precise directions. And he said, I should send this out to my church and, and let them know this is the right way uh, to do communion. This is the religious way. This is the holy way to do communion. I found it interesting that he was concerned about the bread, but when it came uh, to the wine, he didn't have a recipe for the wine. He encouraged everyone to drink uh, grape juice. And so if he was so concerned about following the Bible, we see that there was bread, unleavened bread, and wine. That's what they used back then. And so I guess in the back of my mind, I was just like, does it really matter what we use for communion? Does it really matter whether it's unleavened bread or regular bread or crackers or wine or grape juice? Does it really matter? And then I went back to my earlier days in ministry. I was a youth minister, and, and I remember getting scolded one time because I had taken our kids to CIY, Christ in Youth. It's a wonderful, amazing camp. We went to uh, Colorado that year, and somehow I had forgotten to take communion supplies. And so I did what any good youth minister does. I looked and saw what we had, and we had Big Red, and we had some Cheez-Its. And I remember with our youth group, we had communion with Big Red and Cheez-Its. And it was an amazing experience. It was, uh, it, it was such a beautiful place that we had communion in one of the most spiritual uh, times in my life as we did it. But when I got back, the senior minister had heard about it, and he had scolded me for it. He couldn't believe that, that that's what I had used for communion. And so in back of my mind, I thought, does God really care about what we take? Does the, does the bread, does the juice, does he really care about that? And for me, I think he's more concerned about our heart more than anything else. I don't know if Jesus really cares about what type of cracker or whatever you're using as a substitute for the bread. I'm not sure that he cares whether we're using wine or grape juice or whatever the case may be. I think what he really cares about is our heart and our mind during this time. And so this morning, I'm asking you to take a fresh look at communion. We take it each week, and it can be a simple routine if we're not careful. But what if we saw it as a meal? A meal of community, a meal of love, a meal of hope, a meal of resurrection, a meal of celebration, a meal that reminds us not only of Jesus' death, but of his resurrection. And so could I encourage you this week to reflect on how the communion story is a story of resurrection. Think about how that changes our hearts and our attitudes.